rain, sleet, and snow. Nice to be together again. Tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, looking specifically at 8, 28, and 29. Um, I've titled this teaching Fragments. Fragments. So uh, if you open your Bibles up to Romans 8, we'll read 8, and we'll stand as we read 18 through 30. Romans 8, 18 through 30. And we read, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. And not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. Listen, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. And Father God, what can we say? Reading those words, reading the truths in those verses, God, getting the hope that we have in that. Lord, we thank you, we thank you. And I pray again, Lord Jesus, that... Father, you're, you're glorified, the body is edified, and that your word goes out as it always does and will accomplish in each and every one of our hearts what you purpose for it to accomplish. Be glorified, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please be seated. Absolutely amazing, uh, this chapter, chapter 8, and especially this part of chapter 8. We are Christians, and we as Christians have hope, and we have a living hope, we have an everlasting hope, we have a hope that does not disappoint. Uh, we have hope to the point that even in our sufferings and our trials and our tribulations that we go through for Christ, even in all that and through all that, that there's meaning and there's purpose in it. Didn't have that before. In the Bible, Jesus makes it very clear that the Father, well, he makes the sun shine on evil people as well as good people. He brings rain down on the just and the unjust. 
And he does that because of who he is. Now we, and I'll just speak for myself, I can't say that I would be that free with those things. I would withhold, but not him. He's the father, and he gives freely those things so that we might know him, and once know him, abide with him. We all have good days. We have bad days. And we experience things unexpected as well as things expected. And in it all, we see things that make sense to us, but yet we live in a world, and you read the paper, listen to the radio, uh, get online, and things are happening that are just so contrary, so contrary to the word and the will of God that it just makes our head spin. So the question that comes up in our minds as Christians often is, is it true? Is it true that everything that happens to us happens for a purpose? And the short answer is yes, uh, because of the Father, who he is, and what he has planned for us. Now, I want to clarify a couple of things before we dig into Romans 8, 28, and 29. Um, and just know the two things I'm going to clarify, that God still will work in those things for our good. Number one is the law of cause and effect. The law is basically of reaping and, and or sowing and reaping. Uh, and not, not the karma law of the, of the Hindus. I'm not talking about that at all. But the cause, for instance, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap what? Corruption. But listen, he who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So, the fact is, because we live, we have to make choices. We've talked about choices over the, this past several uh, Wednesdays together. We, we can't avoid making choices. And, whether, and when we make a fleshly choice, then what happens? There are certain inevitable results that will happen because of that choice. Uh, sometimes, maybe you've been there, but I've, I've been pastoring long enough and counseled people long enough, and they wonder, why do this? Why did this happen to me? Why this? Why that? And like the person says, why am I in jail? And the answer might be, well, you know, you did rob a bank. You know, that's, you, you sowed something, and now you're reaping something. Or I love uh, Proverbs 19.3. Uh, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. When a man's folly brings his ways to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. And isn't that like us? When we want to go our own, own way, walk in our own spirit with our own goal and our in the flesh as much as we can, and then things go wrong, we go, why God? Why Lord? And he's going, hey. The point is this, there's cause and effect. There's a sowing and a reaping in our life. And when we sow, know this, we're making an investment. We just have to choose, are we going to invest in the spirit or are we going to invest in the flesh? Now, some things that happen to us are just a result of what we sowed. But know this, even if I've sowed something that reaped a fleshly result because I was in the flesh, God is our father. And he doesn't just leave me there. He doesn't just say, well, John, you know, now you're getting what you deserve. And he doesn't say to me, well, John, you've made your bed, now sleep in it. He doesn't leave me there. 
what, because of his nature, because he has a purpose in working these things out for the good, which we're going to talk about and, and, and edify and clarify, he doesn't leave us in what we've reaped in our flesh. We know this. In Christ, we have love, we have kindness, we have forgiveness, we have uh, grace and all those attributes. And it's not because of how loving we are, but because of what? Who he is. Because of who he is. So one of them is sowing and reaping. In, the, in that sowing and reaping, God still will work those things for the good. The other one that we're subject to is original sin. Original sin, you know well. Original sin began in the garden, and from there on, uh, everybody and everything is affected by it. We're under a curse, and as a result of that curse, there's death and disease and infirmities and, and uh, disasters and pestilence and all those things. But notice again, God is in control of all those things as well. We live in a fallen world. We're subject to the illnesses. We're subject to downward regression. And I know that every day as I look in the mirror. Life happens. There's trials, there's troubles, there's tribulations, as well as blessings, as well as good times, and, and, and there's good things to come. And this happens to all people. But it's only to the children of God. It's only to God's children, only to those that he has called, only to them that we have the comfort and we have the assurance that as we live for Christ through trials and troubles and tribulations, what we might be going through, God is at work. God is at work. We have the knowledge that God is at work in our lives for his good, excuse me, for our good and his glory. He's at work. So in this section of scripture, what Paul is doing, he's given us insight into the connection of suffering and glory and, and, and develops this overall theme here of the assurance that we have as Christians in Christ Jesus. The Christian hope of glory frames verses 18 through 30. And Paul doesn't in any way notice as you read this, he, in, he does not in any way minimize a trouble or a trial or a suffering or an event we might be going through. It's never minimized. We're foreigners. Some of us have done traveling. You know what it is to be a foreigner. And we are. We're foreigners in a strange and bizarre world. And the closer we get to Christ, the stranger this world becomes. The more bizarre it just becomes. I feel like I, I, sometimes we're in a dream. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, to be revealed to us. What we go through, we go through. What we go through, we don't go through alone. And what we go through, not alone, God is working for the good. And there's a glory that's going to be revealed to us and in us through all of this. So, I know this. I don't know this fellowship well enough, but I've been around Christians long enough and bodies of Christ long enough to know that in every fellowship, every church, 
There are people who have some breaking, heartbreaking stories, heartbreaking events that happen in their life, and radical things that have happened to them, and they've, they're on the other side of it and have seen God work through it and work it out and work it for the good. They're also at the same time now people that are entering into that thing, that hard thing, that disappointing thing, that hurtful thing, and are wondering at the same time that that's happening, basically what in the world's going on, and does God care? One of the great challenges for us as Christians, and even the most faith-based Christian, is that we believe the words that all things work together for the good. Now, we have a problem because of two things. One is we don't have all knowledge. We don't have all knowledge. As we go through something, if we had all knowledge, then we would have the solution, the answers uh, to everything that we go through, right? But we don't have all knowledge. So that leaves us at a disadvantage. The other thing is this. We live in a time dimension. We live month, you know, there's only, don't freak out now, but there's only 11 months left in this year. But we live month to month, week to week, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. We're, we're trapped in time. And because of that, we can't get out of it. We can't escape it. So, example of things working for the good. Joseph in the Old Testament. It's all good. He's the youngest of 11, favorite of his father. That's a good thing. You read the story. He's given a code of favor by his father. That's a good thing. But then a bad thing, his brothers don't like that. You go on. He has his first dream from God. And that's an awesome thing, getting a dream from God. He tells his brothers, they don't like that. He has a second dream from God. He tells his mom and dad and his brothers, another dream, that's a good thing. But he tells them, they don't like that. And then his brothers, you read the story, plot to kill him. That's a bad thing. And then one of his brothers, Judah, says, a basic intercedent says, let's don't kill him. So that's a good thing. But then the brothers decide, well, we'll sell him off to these uh, uh, traders. And if they take him to Egypt, that's a bad thing. And then he's put into the care of Potiphar, an Egyptian and Potiphar puts him over his whole household. That's a good thing. Potiphar has a wicked wife who tries to seduce Joseph. And, and in trying to seduce him, he runs away, which is a good thing. But then she falsely accuses him and he gets thrown in jail. And that's a bad thing. And on and on. He's in jail. And then the Pharaoh's butler and baker are there. And they have some dreams. And they're wondering what the dreams are. And he tells them what the dreams are all about. And you read the story as he goes on. And the, the uh, butler is restored to his uh, office and the baker is, is killed. And then before the butler leaves, Joseph says, remember me. The butler says, you bet I will. That's a good thing. But once he was freed, he forgot all about Joseph. He go on on. Then Pharaoh has dreams. And he brings his magicians, his sorcerers, and nobody can remember can give him the interpretation. But then the butler says, I remember. Then Joseph is brought out of prison. That's a good thing. Joseph rightly interprets the dreams. You know it, the, the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine, famine. And that goes on. And then he's given second in command over the entire country, second only to Pharaoh himself. That's a good thing. 
Well, the rest of the story, you know, the famine affects the whole world at that time. And then um, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to get grain. They run into Joseph, though they don't know Joseph. Joseph toys with them a little bit. Um, uh, and then uh, finally the whole family, Jacob and the whole family, come up to Egypt. That's a good thing. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. They freak out a little bit. And then Jacob dies. And uh, then he reveals himself completely to them. And they were worried now because Jacob had died. And now that Joseph would take his revenge on them. But Joseph said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And intended that the, for the salvation of many. Now you take any fragment of Joseph's life by itself. And you look at it, and you read it, at one point he's blessed by God. At one point it seems like he's cursed by God. At one point he's protected by God. Then at one point it seems like he's forsaken by God. And then you go on, one point he's prospered by God, and then one point he's disciplined by God. Back and forth, back and forth, until the end, until we get to the end of the story, and we see that God was working in it all and through it all for the good, not only of Joseph, but for Joseph and his entire family. The, the blind man in John chapter 6. And they walk by a blind man and the disciples say to Jesus, Who sinned? Uh, this, his parents or this man sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus said, No, that, that isn't what happened. And Jesus said that even this blind man's condition, listen, was that the works of God would be, be revealed in him. Even in that. And then one of the best stories in the Bible is Esther. The banishment of Queen Vashti, the selection of Esther. There's, she, she gets raised up, and then there's the plot of the assassins, and there's the pride of Haman, the courage of Mordecai, and there's good and there's bad that's going on, and all this is going on. The insomnia of the king, uh, the bloodthirst of Zeresh, and then the reading of the scroll. And you take and look at that story, and it seems like it's happen chance. Even though the, God is not even mentioned in that book, we would know that you'd have to be spiritually blind not to see the hand of God in the whole story of Esther. And it all comes together in that one phrase, all this comes together for such a time as this. All of that for such a time as this. Because God is good, and he is good, he's on our side, and he's for us. Thus, he's always at work in our life. He's always at work in our life. So Romans 8.28, we read, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. It's a beautiful scripture. And it's a scripture that if we're not careful, we can use it in a wrong way at a wrong time. Uh, we could use it, for instance, um, I was chaplain for the Eldorado County Sheriff's Office for uh, eight years, got called to a lot of tragic scenes, anywhere from a father hanging himself to traffic accidents and uh, suicides, things like that. Got called to this one scene. <clears throat> a young man had wrecked his car one mile from home. And I saw on a narrow road, uh, it was near the evening, one mile from home. I get there, I talk to the deputies, I'm getting briefed on what went, what happened. 
And I find in the briefing that the parents are believers. Now, after getting all the information I had, uh, this young man was obviously traveling way, traveling way too fast for the road. They, they could tell by the skid marks and all that. And uh, he hit a tree, and of course, uh, he lost his life. So I could have gone to the parents and said, well, knowing that they were Christians, well, you know your son's in a better place. That would have been true. I could have said that. Or I could have said, you know, your son, if he'd just been driving slowly and more carefully, he'd be here right now at your side. Another truth. But to say those things at that time would have been wrong. It would have been cruel, actually. It would not have been loving. So we have to be careful because sometimes we can be right but very wrong when we would use a scripture. Somebody's house burns down in the fellowship that you guys belong to. And, so, and one of you goes up to that family and goes, well, you know, bro, it's all going to burn anyway. Now, I say that because I have that experience. Is it true? Spiritually, yes, it's all going to burn anyway. But is that what that family needs to hear right then and there? No, no. So I just say that. I hope that this scripture doesn't become it's cliche uh, and, and become overused in, in, in our lives. Because this is more than a cliche. It, it, it's more than, than a, a, a platitude. It is a promise from God. It's a promise from God to us who encourages us. And Paul is describing here those upon whom God works all things. From the human point of view, it's those who love God. And from the divine point of view, it's for those who are, he is called according to his purpose. Also, let me be very clear about what this verse is not saying. It is not saying, it does not teach that all things that happen to us are good or are pleasant. It doesn't say that. There are fragments in our life that are very painful, very unpleasant, very hurtful and confusing. But it is God who is able to take those things and cause those things to work for our good. Not our pleasure, but for our good. This verse teaches us, reminds us that once we're here, once we are his, once we become his sons and his daughters, then it is he's at work and he's going to start working and combining the events of our life for a good. And also know this, our good is not defined as our happiness. It's not defined as our health or our wealth or even our joy. Our good is defined the way the Bible defines it, and we see it here, that our good is to be conformed into the image of his son. To be conformed in the image of his son. Look at that. In verse 29, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Conformed is that word, word uh, we, somorphous, which means to be made similar to, 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 be, to be the same form as another. And that's what's happening to each and every one of us here. Uh, as we live, as long as we live in this world, God is at work making us conform into that image. More like Jesus. Now, what could be bad about that? What better goal can there be for us 
as Christians, as men and women, than for us to be more like Jesus? What better destiny is there for us than that? Because you live in the same world I live in, and the world needs a lot more Jesus. A lot more. It is in our life where God is at work making us to have the same form as Jesus. And there is no such thing in the Christian life as luck or fate or chance. And when we read, work together for the good, work together, God works together for the good, that is in the present active and indicative. And, you know, that's just a fancy way because I can't even say it right. But that's a fancy way of saying this. All things for the Christian, all things continue to work in cooperation with one another for the good. That God is working all things to work in cooperation with one another for the good. Our peace, our comfort, our assurance, our hope, our joy doesn't come from knowing that we will never face difficulties. It doesn't come from that. We believe, do we not, that once saved, we're always saved. I believe that's, no, not, oh, I'll talk to Pastor Bob, no. <laughs> but we believe that. But we don't believe that once saved, it's all a bowl of cherries from that point on. And we know from life experience that's, not, that's just not the truth. But we have confidence that in the midst of all the things that we experience, even though we don't know all, we don't have all knowledge, we know we have a knowledge, we have a wisdom from God, we know from his word, we have confidence in the fact that God is working all things for the good. And that good is that he's, being, he's conforming us into the image of his son. All things, only to those who love God and to those who have been called according to his purpose. Not all people love God. Jesus said, if you love me, then you will do as I say, keep my commandments. Our love for our Lord is to do what he's instructed us to do, what he tells us to do in the word. So if I say that I love my bride, but yet I do everything for my benefit, then the words, I love you, are empty. The words that I say, I, I care for her, have no meaning. So for anybody to say that they love Jesus or love God, but not do what he commands, not do what he says, there's a contradiction there. I think one of the worst feelings that we can experience in the world that we live in is, a, is that of being alone. Of being alone. Thinking that we're forgotten. Thinking that maybe we've been abandoned. And this is even magnified, I think, all the more when we go through a particular fragment in our life when we think no one cares or no one notices. And it gets worse when the person can't make any sense out of what's going on. But we know this, God is aware. God is knowing and concerned about his children. And we're given a promise in the scripture that gives us great hope 
gives us great strength. Gives us, I love this, it gives us endurance through those fragments, through those times. Remember when Jesus was ministering on the earth. It's mentioned in Mark and John. that He kind of just looked at everything and started to groan. And he was groaning because he was seeing the effect of sin on humans, on mankind. And Jesus, and Jesus in John chapter 16 promised to give us a helper, to give us the Holy Spirit, the comforter, to come alongside us and, and, and to, to be there with us. And we're told that the Holy Spirit here, and, and look at verses 25 through 27 in chapter 8. I'll start with verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But, verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be in us, to be for us, but also to intercede. He intercedes for us. He intercedes on our behalf. He intercedes on our behalf to the Father that we might know the will of God, that we might live the will of God. We don't always, does anybody, did anybody here claim to always know the will of God? And I found out it's easier for me to know the will of God for somebody else than it is for me to know the will of God for myself. But, truth be known, we don't always know the will of God for certain things. Sometimes we have to say, oh, I have to pray about that. I have to seek his will. And sometimes his will is revealed to us as we live for him. We don't always know how to pray as we ought to pray. But we have God, the Holy Spirit, on our behalf, interceding for us. So if we're going through a fragment that we don't understand, and we're uncomfortable with it, and it's painful, and it's hurtful, know this, God is at work in that very thing. God has two main purposes, two main purposes in his plan for us. Our good, number one, and his glory, number two. Our good and his glory. We all experience life in fragments, in pieces, in sections. And know this, each fragment of our life, if you would, is being strung together on this cord called our good. And as the fragments are lived out, it doesn't seem that way, but as the fragments start being completed, then it becomes more evident. We have confidence And what God has said here in Romans 8.28, that he's working things out for our good. Because if God, who gave his only begotten son for us, if he did that for us, how much more will he continue to do for us? He was willing to do that for our good. Now I want to read 8.28 through 30 through the New Living Translation. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. 
For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. In Christ Jesus, we have a right standing before God and we're able to share in the Lord's glory. What a wonderful thing. Also know this. Sometimes Christians, we, we, we're hard on ourselves. And we think that, okay, I'm having a hard time. I'm going through a difficulty. This is something I don't understand. That if I don't keep a stiff upper lip, that somehow I'm less of a Christian. That I'm lacking faith. It's, that's not it at all. We don't have to put on that kind of fake attitude. And when it comes to faith, I meant much many times like the father who came to Jesus with that demon-possessed son and asked Jesus for help. And Jesus said, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father's response, I say amen to. He says, Lord, I believe, but what? Help me in my unbelief. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Now, to drive this whole concept of fragments of our life and God working all things in our life, bringing all things together for our good, I want to tell, recite a story. And it's about a poor woodcutter. It goes like this. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all for he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before, such was its splendor, its majesty, and strength. Well, people offered fabulous prices for the steed, but the old man always refused. He said, this horse is not a horse. He would tell them, it's a person. How could you sell a person? He's a friend, not a possession. How can you sell a friend? The man was poor, and the temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. Well, one morning he gets up, and he found that the horse was not in the stable. So the entire village comes to him and says, You old fool, they scoffed. We told you that someone would steal your horse. We warned you that you would be robbed. You are so poor, how could you ever hope to protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better to have sold him. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted, No amount would have been too high. Now the horse is gone, and you have been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, Don't speak so too quickly. Say only the horse is not in the stable. That's all we know. The rest is judgment. If I've been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? Well, the people contested. Don't make us out to be fools. We may not be philosophers, but great philosophy is not needed. The simple fact that your horse is gone is a curse. The old man spoke again. All I know is that my stable is empty. The horse is gone. The rest I don't know. Whether it be a curse or a blessing, I can't say. All we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? Well, the people of the village all laughed. They thought that the old man was crazy. They had always thought he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold the horse and lived off the money. But instead... He was a poor woodcutter, an old man still cutting firewood, dragging it, dragging it out of the forest and selling it. 
He lived hand to mouth in the misery of poverty. Now he had proven that he was a fool indeed. Well, after 15 days, the horse returned. And not only did the horse return, but the horse returned with a dozen other horses with it. Once again, the village people got excited. They came around the woodcutter and they said, Old man, you were right. We were wrong. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. The old man responded, Once again, you go too far. Say only the horse is back. Say only that a dozen horses have returned with him. But don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You see only a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book. How can you judge the whole book? You read only one word of a paragraph. How can you understand the entire passage? Life is so vast, yet you judge all life with one page, one word. All you have is a fragment. Don't say this is a blessing. No one knows. I'm content with what I know, and I'm not perturbed by what I don't. Maybe the old man is right, they said to one another. So they said little, but deep down they knew he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve wild horses returned with one horse. With a little bit of work, the animals could be broken, trained, and sold for much money. Well, the old man had a son, an only son. The young man began to break the horses, and he did this for a few days, and finally one day he fell off one of the horses and broke both of his legs. Once again, the villagers came around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You proved you're right. The dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son now has broken both his legs, and now you, in your old age, have no one to help you. You are poorer than ever. The old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far to say only, say only that my son has broke his legs. Who knows if it's a blessing or a curse? No one knows. We only have fragments. Life comes in fragments. Well, it happened that a few weeks later that the country waged war with a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the old man's son was excluded because he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man, crying and screaming and pulling their hair because their sons had been taken. There, there was little chance that they would ever return. The enemy was strong and the war would be a losing struggle. They would never see their sons again. You are right, old man, they wept. God knows you are right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he is with you. Our sons are gone forever. The old man said, oy vey. He spoke again. He said, it is impossible to talk with you. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war. Mine did not. No one knows if it's a blessing or a curse. No one is wise enough. Only God knows. We know this. Right now we're sometimes in the midst of something that we don't understand or we're struggling with or we've come out of it or we're getting ready for something. Or we know somebody who's in one of those three things. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. There's a transformation going on. It's a glorious transformation. And it's something that I know puts a smile on the Father's face as he sees us 
being more conformed into the image of his son. Philippians 3.21, this lowly body, we're told, will be transformed into this glorious body according to all his work. So just take heart, be encouraged. Fragments, yes, but fragments put together one at a time, and we'll see the whole picture, and we'll see the purpose, and we'll receive the benefit. Amen? Amen. So Father God, I thank you for the foresight you give us. And that, Lord, you haven't left us as orphans. Father, that you've given us all that we need to continue on. All that we need to be your child, to be the salt and the light in this dark and decaying world. To be truth in a world that knows not the truth. To be a helping hand, asking for nothing when the world's expecting some clever gimmick to be you Jesus we won't be foolish Lord we'll be wise wise as serpents but as gentle as a dove and we will stand Lord against unrighteousness and we'll stand for the innocent but Lord we won't do it the way the world does it so Father I just pray that we now again this evening have become more like your son and that we express more of Jesus to one another in the body of Christ and to all those we encounter outside the body of Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, God bless. Be careful on the roads because I think it's very windy and stormy out there. <laughs>